there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. On right now, the doctor's in. Dr. Rasha Bittar back on board. And, of course, we got lots of broadcast healing to do this hour, including maybe a little follow-up with you on John Rappaport's article about uh, fluoride in New Zealand, because you have an interesting take on it. But before we dive into that, there's an article by Levi Quackenboss, an interesting blog. I love what uh, she writes about. She talks about the problem with calling it autism. And said, hey, why not call it something else like uh, Vinda autism? I'm thinking, is that an Indian thing? And Vinda stands for Vaccine-Induced Neurological Damage Associated with Autism. And I thought, that's pretty brilliant. But I, I want to check in with the good doctor, see what he thinks. Well, first of all, when I read the article, the name of the author threw me off for a second because I didn't know that was like a, a quack and boss. That kind of threw me for a loop. I was thinking like quack watch or quack busters or something, you know what I mean? Well, it's definitely a pushback, a play on, on those quackbusters, it is, because uh, this person knows them well and just loves to make fun of them. Oh, okay, so, so this is not a real name. This is a... Alias. Yeah, it's a suited. Yeah, it's an alias, exactly. Okay, okay. All right, so I, I wasn't losing my mind then. Okay, that's good. Well, I think that it's an interesting um, concept to call this a condition, uh, Vinda autism, but regardless of how appropriate or not appropriate it is. I really, really like the author's first couple of paragraphs, and um, I would have not been so kind to the people that have called and and um, basically told the author to get over themselves. I would have been a little bit harsher, but, you know, it, it's a really interesting point that people that call and complain about autism labels and say that they're very happy with the way they are and they have a diagnosis of autism, the mere fact that they can express themselves, that they have expressive language present, uh, eliminates them from that category in the first place because that is one of the, the classic definitions of autism, uh, at least conventionally, that they've, you know, they have limited or no expressive language. And you know my definition of autism, uh, Robert, we've talked about it on the show over the years, uh, essentially a Mercury toxicity on board, a physiology with an impaired detoxification pathways or an impaired mechanism of detoxification period. And that's all that autism is. And yes, there are other components to it. And yes, there are other metals that contribute to it. And yes, there are other uh, issues such as gastrointestinal uh, permeability, dysfunction, dysbiosis, et cetera, et cetera. But really, right. our you know the way we treat it it's it's one basic thing we we do we deal with all those other issues but it's the the resolution of these children that you've seen many of that you've met yourself that you've um you know that you did narrated the DVD um over 14 years ago now uh, autism the misdiagnosis for future generations those children the key 90% of the results that we re that we achieved 95% of those results possibly even 99% of those results were achieved by simply removing mercury from the systems and allowing the innate process of the body to heal itself to take over and yes so i personally um applaud the author for the way 
that he or she was able to handle the uh, naysayers. I possibly would not, probably would not have been able to do it as gracefully as they did. But <laughs> yes. I really like the way that, um, you know, when, when he goes into, or is it a he or a she? I believe it's a she, but uh, like I said, we can okay. keep it a gender neutral, not to offend anybody, not that we care about offending people. But, you know, the point is, here's a great article. And it really points out one of the things we've talked about over the years as well. Like some of the folks, not only those self-identified as autism, yet they have the ability to communicate fairly clearly and they're happy with who they are. And she's saying, you know, if you're happy with who you are, fine. That's not what we're talking about here. But then there are others who talk about, remember this, autism as the gift, right? That that, that think it's a special gift. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And he's like, how do you deal with that? Well, I, you know, I think that it's appropriate, and I don't know whether you want me to do this, but I think it's very appropriate to at least read this one paragraph. It's just extremely powerful. Sure. Um, she goes on to say, and I'm listening, I don't want to insult people with autism while fighting to prevent the next 100,000 kids from developing autism. But 20 year old in college, sitting at a computer and leaving comments, aren't the kids we're fighting for. We're fighting for the kids who have 20 seizures a day. The eight-year-olds with the rancid diarrhea running up their backs when it explodes out of the diapers. The kids with helmets on because they can't stop banging their heads on the walls. The kids who are nutritionally starving from malabsorption and suffer all the consequences from missing key nutrients and minerals. The kids whose head circumference shot up uh, from the 50th percentile to 99th percentile overnight after vaccinations. The kids hanging over the arm of the sofa in pain looking to put pressure on it but unable to tell their parents what hurts because they lost the ability to speak at 18 months of age. Now, this is a powerful paragraph because this yeah. is exactly the point. The ones that can sit there that are in college and, and say, I'm, I'm happy the way I am and, you know, get over yourself. Well, hey, you don't really have autism. Yes, you have an impaired ability to detoxify perhaps, but the pathways that your, your pathways that were impaired were far less, uh, they, they were minuscule compared to the kids that we're talking about because there is a different uh, level of damage that occurs here. So ADD, ADHD, autism, aut- autism spectrum disorder, pervasive developmental delay, all these things are the same gamut. You know, they're different spectrums of the same issue. And so obviously these people that are complaining, they're on the very mild aspect, and they've never seen the other aspect. You know, they, 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 they've, they've never experienced it. They've never lived it. Um, they have that label of autism, so they think, well, you know, it, it's almost like somebody who's mildly got a tan thinks that they know what it feels to be uh, somebody who's been persecuted in the South because of the skin color or something like that. You follow what I'm saying? Right, yes, they, exactly. They don't know what it's like that. No, this is, it really is a, a a nice differentiation. As I said, I love it when we're we're getting to the point where we communicate more efficiently and differentiate between those who you know want to be offended about everything, right? And, and then differentiate the point of like, no, we're not even talking about you. And, and it's sort of like yeah. you know when, when I started this show, Doctor Batar, you know, years ago, even before we went uh, six days a week, and you became an integral part of what we do here. I was I was thinking that you know the doctors would be more pissed off at me than anybody the medical doctors but it turns out the, some of my biggest fan supporters over the years have been the medical doctors because they've recognized that I'm not talking about them the doctors that get it and that love what we do are the ones that are actually doing the healing that it, they were really invested in doing and, and maybe they never got corrupted or maybe they out, outgrew their corruption and came back to what we do here but those that are upset with this message uh, you know, that's a different story. Yeah, I think that uh, if you we were talking about who's more friendly towards doctors, you or me, you certainly are way more friendly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, well. I think that, the, 
in in the in the interest of this person's article, I really I really enjoyed the article. But I would I would say to this author uh, again, let me get the name Levi Quackenboss. Quackenboss, yes. Quackenboss. I would say that kudos for coming up with this title: vaccine induced neurological damage associated with autism. Vinda autism. But I would tell them stop being apologetic. Uh, you don't have to name it something else. You're trying to be politically correct, and and I don't like politically correctness. I like, you know, bluntness, a bold communication. And you know, if you want to be politically correct, call that. I mean, I understand the motive, and I and I sure. appreciate their their um, their energy here. But I don't think we need to be politically correct. I don't think we need to be apologetic. No, I, I don't think so either. But at the same time, I think uh, I do, as you said, we understand the reason to make some bridges for folks that are on the fence and, and try to make it as easy as possible for them to come over and realize what's going on so that they can make better choices, help find their pathway out of this mess. At the same time, those who are fighting against this message, uh, in, in a larger context, the skeptics, and Mike Adams is just catering uh, Gorski now, uh, the work that Tim Boland's been doing over the years, putting them finally on defense because these people are squirrely up up in their heads in a weird way when you begin to explore what they have done psychotically to attack any form of healing that is real healing versus drug-intensive, vaccine-intensive interventions. Yeah, it's, it is a sad thing. Um, I read a couple of the articles that Mike did, and uh, actually I owe Mike a... I think you sent me a message saying Mike was trying to get a hold of me, so I, yes. I owe him some information. But this is uh, this really is a great job that Mike that Mike's doing. It's outstanding. Well, and it's it's long overdue, as we've talked about. Uh, the, the best defense is a good offense sometimes, and these mm-hmm. folks that have been attacking you and Mike Adams and Mercola and any anybody else who would speak out, they they attacked our friend Nick Gonzalez over the years, uh, and and for so long being on the defense. And some have compromised, and I, and I don't have to name names. You have stood up to this and, and beat it back at, the, at a very high cost economically, but not at the cost of your soul and your principles, which you never abandoned. And other people are learning to stand up now to the bullies, and these bullies don't know how to deal with it, and so all they can do is probably scream and cry to their mommies or whatever else they're doing in their basements. Well, you know, I've never really dealt with any of these people. I've, When they attacked me, I never really responded to them. I don't really consider them uh, worthy of a response. Robert and myself, I, mm-hmm. my response was very simply that uh, you remember the challenge that I put out, that I'll if, if I'll back up what I have to say. Simply come on um, on public media. You take the vaccine. I'll take the vaccine. The only thing is that I get to treat myself with DMPS to remove the mercury out of my body. And since you think it's all quackery, you don't you don't do that. You do you can take a drug or whatever you want, but you don't get to use DMPS. And uh, the only requirement that I have is that we publicly, uh, it's you know, publicized via television. And of course, none of them took up the the challenge. They talk crap all the time, but they won't do anything. So yeah. me, I just ignore them. You know, they can do whatever they want. It's kind of like that guy that you had uh, the tape on that we played on the air, the uh, Monsanto. Uh, oh, the guy that was challenged by a reporter to, if it's so safe, just drink it now. Right, right. The glyphosate. That was so awesome that. Yeah. Yeah. Of course it's safe. Of course I'll drink it. Yeah, sure. And the guy goes, "Here, take a drink." He goes, "Yeah, of course I'll drink." What? What? I'm not going to drink it. What, you think I'm crazy? <laughs> <laughs> calling their bluff, in other words, standing up and calling exactly. them out. 
Well, that's what we do here on the Robert Scott Bell Show, Advanced Medicine. Each and every week we kick it off with Dr. Rashid Bittar. MedicalRewind.com is the place, if you miss a show, the easiest place to get hundreds of hours of free archives. Downloadable, you can listen to your heart's content, and the healing will be flowing through you. MedicalRewind.com. Of course, right here on GCN, our syndicator, also available through iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podcast, Epic Times, Talk Network, UK Health Radio, and the new SoundCloud. Lots more healing to go. We'll talk more about the fluoride issue in New Zealand. And Dr. Vitar has a unique perspective on it as well. So stick with us. Lots more healing to go on. Medical Rewind Advanced Medicine here. The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Making sense out of medical propaganda. Here's Robert. To Dr. Bittar and his international best-selling book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, which, by the way, it still goes with me everywhere I go. I, I was lecturing to a group of independent health food stores in uh, Merrillville, Indiana, not far from Chicago, a couple of days ago, and it was right there, The Nine Steps. I explained to them what your story is, what your passion and mission is, and they were definitely soaking it up and eating it up and hopefully uh, picking up the book, too. So... Uh, we, we, you know, traveling around the world, we've got fans all over the world, in Australia, even New Zealand. I talked with John Rappaport last hour about New Zealand, his articles about fluoride and how the national government in New Zealand is trying to run roughshod over the local municipalities to force them to accept fluoride where they don't want it. Have you seen that? Absolutely, absolutely. And it's, well, uh, it's very interesting that even in the you know, cleanest place on the planet, uh, Still a problem, you know, the government's getting involved and trying to tell people what to do. Yeah, and the thing is, as we said here in America, where we've got a centralized bureaucracy that is so large, I mean, come on, there's no feasible way you can run it, you know, a government for 350 million people from one central location. That's ludicrous. It's insane. And, of course, New Zealand is much smaller but at the same time, to think that you could go to one centralized place in New Zealand and say, this is right for all of the little cities and towns that don't want fluoride in the water, and for them to run roughshod over it means that that corporatism, uh, that, that globalism is impacting on the national government in New Zealand, despite the locals, maybe a lot of them don't even have fluoride now, maybe never will, but what, what do you say? I like the angle for those that would normally go to New Zealand as tourists to write them and say, you know what, if you do this, I'm not coming to visit you. Yeah, actually, uh, this is a contested topic in New Zealand, but uh, supposedly tourism is their number one industry now. And it used to be forestry and it used to be agriculture, but there are people that say that it's actually been replaced in the last few years by tourism. It would be very interesting to think what would happen if tourists that are aware, educated, and evolved enough to know of the damages that fluoride causes them or could potentially cause the human population or, or any population for that matter, uh, what would they do? How would they act? How would they vote with their dollars? Now, the one interesting thing is that the population of New Zealand, I would say relatively speaking different from the rest of the world in the sense that it's a very sustainable culture. So the vast majority, I'd say easily two-thirds, possibly as much as three-quarters of the population, they live in situations where they collect their own rainwater from their own roofs. They collect them in tanks, and then they use that rainwater. 
So they're not really going to be susceptible. This is more for the municipalities, people that live in the, you know, I want to say large cities like Auckland, Christchurch, Queenstown, mm-hmm. you know, those type of areas. They, those people that are going to be dependent upon the municipalities for their water supply, they're the ones that are going to be affected by this. So I think about a third of the population in New Zealand lives in the big cities. The two-thirds of the population are relatively rural. So it's not going to affect as many people, but certainly if the people were to be made aware, uh, I think that it would be uh, very interesting because no other country has the green label like New Zealand does. New Zealand is associated with being pure, clean, uh, you know, fresh, um, away from the rest of the world's toxicity problems. And, Robert, you and I have talked about this on the show, too, that when I was lecturing in Malta about 15 years ago, coming down, landing, the plane was getting ready to land, and, and the uh, uh, hostess walked by asking if we wanted a local paper or the Wall Street Journal. I grabbed the local paper, and right there, smack in the front. I mean, I'm looking out of the plane, beautiful Mediterranean Ocean, thinking how pristine, how clean this area is. Right in the front page of the paper, they're talking about the level of cadmium, and like uh, I don't remember tin and something else in the levels of water, mm. they were so high, and the locals were protesting. They had pickets and they were outraged because they closed beaches down with signs that said shark attacks. Yet there had been no shark attacks in the Mediterranean for I don't know how many you know, uh, I have no idea thousands of years or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the local fishermen were saying there's no shark attacks. What are they talking about? But they had posted these signs saying no fishing. Uh, I'm sorry, no swimming because of shark attacks so that the tourists wouldn't get in the water, but in actuality it's because of the level of toxicity in the water. And so yeah. even in the most pristine environments, we end up having these issues. Incredible. In fact, we've got a new study, maybe a, a borderline moment of dough when we come back talking about similar issues like this. But, yeah, or beware of sharks, or is it beware of heavy metals in the water? We'll get to that and more on the Robert Scott Bell Show Advanced Medicine Edition with Dr. Rasha Batar. After this break, remember MedicalRewind.com, easiest place to get hundreds of hours of archives over the years we've been doing this together. We'll be back in just a moment. Great heavens, what kind of radio show is this? The Robert Scott Bell Show. Information is so good, it requires no expiration date. The Robert Scott Bell Show. You know how it is with us on this show. Uh, we won't say a word without consulting the peer-reviewed literature to be sure we're absolutely accurate and correct because we know that that literature is absolutely without uh, exception, 100% correct. Science is never wrong, right? Science has religion. <laughs> and then along comes a study that validates not that we needed the validation something that was so patently obvious so clinically true that it could only be today's moment of duh what are you people on dope <laughs> amalgamated association of morons local six and seven eight you're crazy what is your major Yes, today's moment of duh comes to us from uh, somewhere in China, or near it, where you can land on the air. A new study confirms a link between air pollution and, get this, hold the phone and hold your breath, an increased cancer risk. Not just, a, not just an increased cancer risk, an increased 
risk of lung cancer. Not no, not lung. We wait breathing in the particulate, the pollution. We just weren't sure about that. We were speculating for years. Finally, we know. <laughs> Who paid for this? Oh, the UK. It was it was our friends in Great Britain. You all listening on UK Health Radio, you should be real proud of your tax money. Maybe you should go to Prince Charles and say, come on, Prince, you know this, we know this, we didn't need to pay for this. But they said uh, it supports the 2013 decision by the WHO International Agency for Research on Cancer to classify outdoor air pollution as a whole, as well as the particulate matter contained in outdoor air pollution, a carcinogen to humans. Well, you know, Robert, let's... let's give this study, I mean, some some credit here. And here's okay. why. Because so many of the conventional oncologists don't recognize nutrition or environmental toxicity or any type of toxicity as having a role in cancer. So for them, even yes. though we know it's a moment of duh, it's, it's infantile baby steps for them. Because, you know, Obama's uh, presidential report, 2010 cancer, uh, it's called the 2010, 2010 Presidential Cancer Report, which we have on our website that anybody can download. It's a 246-page, I believe it is, uh, PDF. And I can summarize the whole 246-page uh, article by basically, or report by stating that the conclusion was that cancer is an environmental problem and must the environmental problem must be addressed in order to make a difference in cancer. So, yes, for people like you and I, it's a moment mm -hmm. of duh, but I do think that for the I don't know. Can I? I, I guess. Be careful. The Association of Morons. Yes. Well, I think <laughs> since we have, we can say that since the Association of Morons out there um, mm -hmm. that think that the answer to cancer is giving chemo and radiation, this is something that I think would be, if they read the studies, if they sure. read the medical literature, would be influential. Hopefully, you would think it would be influential. But, of course, but it here, probably wouldn't be. Here's another layer of cognitive dissonance in the midst of another layer of, of, of toxic vapors uh, from pollution. In that you could take the contaminants within the pollution and you'll find mercury, you'll probably find aluminum in there. Who knows what else you'll find in there? But now we can take that concept and say, let's throw it in the syringe and inject it into a baby. You know, as I've said for many years, if you take the ingredients of a vaccine, take it out of the syringe, put it into a baby's bottle, and feed that baby what, what the contents of the vaccine were. You could be indicted for attempted murder, certainly assault and battery at the very least, because of the ingredients. And there's still a cognitive distance where they'll acknowledge, oh, yeah, okay, breathing and pollution, not good. But they'll take some of those toxic pollutants and, and put it in a syringe and inject it and go, no, that's fine, perfectly fine. You, you're absolutely correct. And, you know, this, I don't know whether we have enough time, but this brings oh, yeah. up the story. You remember the story about the dentist that I told you about, the marathon runner that came for athletic performance enhancement to our clinic? Did I tell you that story before? Probably, but, but I, we I, got I, lots of new listeners. you got to share it with everybody again. Okay, I think you'll remember this, but basically this dentist came to me, and uh, he wanted to start on one of our enhancement protocols and, you know, had no health history. But, of course, at that time, some of the things, where we should require that a physician evaluate the person before we put them on the streets, even though now they're over the counter. And the long and the short of it is that since he was a dentist and since I was getting his history anyway, I just thought I'd throw it out to him. I mean, here's this dentist. He's coming to us. And I said, hey, so what do you think about the issue for amalgam? And I figured, you know, he would be already evolved and he would already understand. And, and he, he looks at me and with the most, uh, you know, like dismissal-type tone, dismissive-type tone says, oh, clearly... 
there's no validity to any of those issues. If mercury wasn't, if mercury amalgam wasn't safe, we wouldn't be using it, right? Wow. So I figured, okay, this I'm going to have fun with this guy. So, so I said, hey, I'm wondering if uh, our dentists required, like you know, like real doctors to have certain standards for safety. And of course, you know, I, I use those words very carefully, very yes. precisely. Yes. So when I said like real doctors, you know, you should have seen them. We start flaring up. And he goes, he goes, what are you talking about? I said, you know, like like you guys have to adhere to OSHA standards. And he goes, of course we do. I said, so like if you spill an amalgam on the ground, do you like to stick it underneath the table or pick it up and flush it in, in the in the sink? And he goes, no, of course not. And I said, well, what do you do with it? He goes, we have to uh, wall it off as a, uh, a, not wall it off, but um, um, border it off like a hazardous spill mm-hmm. and then appropriately discard it. And I said, so what does that mean, appropriately discard it? Throw it in the trash can? I mean, what are you talking about? He says, no, in a biohazard container. And he's talking <laughs> with me, to me with this dismissal tone, like, what are you, crazy? Right. So tell me, what type of alchemic process goes in with the substance <laughs> that if you drop in the ground, you have to get rid of it in a biohazard container, and you have to maintain hazard standards that are put out by OSHA, but then you put it inside somebody's mouth and all of a sudden becomes safe? Yeah. And you could see literally, I mean, if there was a way that you could see smoke coming out of a person's brain, oh my like gosh. every wheel in his brain locked up, he gets up and he stormed out of my office and I never saw him again. <laughs> oh man, you're so mean. <laughs> but, I mean, here's the thing. You talk about cognitive dissonance. I mean, this right. is exactly, people need to look at the facts. And, and why is it, you know, one plus one, you can't say it's going to equal the letter, you know, L. It yeah. just doesn't work, or, or letter Z, or whatever the heck it is. So it's, sometimes when a person is that arrogant, you have to slap them down and wake them up. Yeah. Well, let's let's expand our pollution discussion from toxic particulates that you can weigh and measure to the invisible kind, radiotherapy, like radioactivity, right? Ionizing radiation used to treat, in this case, we were just talking about lung cancer linked to pollution. They're using radiation to treat lung cancer. And now another study is going, wait a second, that radiation that we use to treat lung cancer is now linked to non-cancer deaths. Yeah, you know, this is another interesting thing because they've looked at uh, how patients that have survived the chemo and the radiation treatment, and I'm just going to extend this beyond just the radiotherapy. Sure. Um, they will end up dying later. We covered this story a number of years ago where they ended up dying later on in life from cardiomyopathies and other sequela of uh, the, the chemo and the radiation that they had experienced. So even though cancer didn't kill them, they died of some other effect from a result from the chemo and the radiation. So this, right. is, this is actually not a surprise. In fact, this, I would think, would be a, a bigger moment of death than the first one. Should be. And could you imagine, like you just went through with a dentist about the toxic hazardous waste. You got them to acknowledge this is how you do it, and suddenly there's an alchemical process, and it's great in your teeth. What if we you know, have a radiological spill, like a nuclear accident at a, at a plant? It's evacuation time, is it not? Yet they utilize that very same thing that you would have to evacuate for to target and put into somebody's body on purpose. And so, again, yep. more cognitive dissonance on that side of the equation. You're absolutely right. You've got to wear those chest protectors when you get in the extras of your arm or your leg when you've broken it, but now all of a sudden you have a problem with your lungs. So what do we do? We give you that very same substance that is known to cause DNA adducts to form, which results in cancer. But, hey, wait a second. Now that you've got cancer, let's just give you more of it. So it's the same type of situation. You're absolutely right. 
Yeah, and you mentioned the the heart issue, the impact on the heart. That was a big, big issue, the non-cancer death associated with uh, uh, different forms of, of heart disease, heart failure even. Yeah, it's, uh, and they've, they've looked at so many other components too, but the heart and the lungs, obviously, you know, the heart goes, the lung goes, and then, of course, you've, uh, you've got the secondary issue of new cancers that are erupting from the treatment that was done for the first cancers, and sometimes they try to say it's the metastasis, but yeah. if you do histological evaluation, they're, they're you know, secondary, prim- they're secondary cancers, but they're, they're original primaries. They're, mm. In other words, they're not metastatic disease. They are new primary cancers. Yeah, or new other manifestations of disease because you radiate tissue, you're going to damage that tissue, you're going to kill that tissue, even the healthy tissue around it. Super Don, could, wouldn't you have loved to have been a fly on the wall in that room with Dr. Batar and that dentist, the way he just kind of laid it out, carried him forward to the point where smoke's coming out of his ears? I think Super Don abandoned us. Yeah, that was just I, too or, much for or him. That, or he just doesn't want to make sure that he, we don't hear, or the world doesn't hear what he has to say because it's so crass and so... <laughs> I'm sorry. There I was multitasking. What was That's the question? It. It was, it was about being a fly on the wall when Dr. Batar was carrying that dentist ever so gingerly through the realities of mercury amalgams and how to dispose of it and then going, how does it magically transform in your teeth? I thought it was classic. Holding that is classic. You, yeah, you don't, you don't hear that every day. That was, yeah. that was a brilliant execution for sure. So I, I was holding his hand, and I gently helped him along his way. It's <laughs> like the little old lady across the street. She didn't want it to go was, there. It was a teachable moment. Yeah, very yeah. teachable. <laughs> I, I, I like that one. I like that one a lot. All right, so we got more pollution. And, of course, it's ironic, again, much of the medical profession has adopted pollution as a solution, right? Isn't that kind of weird? It's like, uh, I mean, we don't have enough pollution. Yeah, we acknowledge pollution. Hey, you know what? What's the answer for your cancer? Pollution. We'll just concentrate it, <laughs> or we'll inject it into your brain. I, you know, it's, I get to that, those moments, and, you know, I want to pull whatever hair on my head I have left out, or in, or out. Yeah, it, it, is, <laughs> it is very frustrating when you start, you know, hearing these type of things. And, but it's also sometimes, I guess, in a way, it, it's good. It's like, a, it's like a mini exercise, good cardiovascular challenge, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's all right. It's all right. Well, we're almost up on another break. There's a couple of things I may want to squeeze into the last segment with you, including the mumps outbreak in Harvard in 100% vaccinated populations. Why won't they acknowledge their vaccine doesn't work? We'll get to that, perhaps. Also, will the U.S. Congress throw $1.9 billion at the phony Zika epidemic? We'll see where we go with Dr. Rasha Bittar. Remember, medicalrewind.com, easiest place to download the archives. Of course, right here on GCN, our syndicator, and many other places and spaces that make available this message of health, freedom, and healing liberty. Check out the links right now. Say, say thanks to our sponsors, too. RobertScottBell.com. You ever want to leave us a message, too, when we're off the air? 866-939-BELL. 866-939-2355. Back with more advanced medicine after this. Can you repeat the part of the stuff where you said all about the things? It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert will be right back. Rocking the health world to the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. All right, I've covered a lot about the Zika hoax, so we're going to play a pass on that. Go listen to some of the archives. Uh, We called it out for the scam that it is. But for now, uh, another scam that they don't acknowledge as a scam yet is... The mumps vaccine is part of the MMR, measles, mumps, rubella. And uh, Merck is involved in a lawsuit because they spiked the blood in the test to prove that the mumps vaccine works. 
They spiked the blood with antibodies just so it would pass muster, and the FDA would say, yep, that's okay. You're being sued now. But now there's a big mumps outbreak at Harvard, and all of the people sick are completely 100% vaccinated for the mumps. So a Fox News Health story says, why do vaccinated people get sick? No, it's not vaccine failure. What is it, Dr. Batar? Well, according to them, it's because people are living too close in proximity. Yeah, and listen, it's no picnic when you're living in a college dorm. There's some nasty stuff that goes on there. But the reality is that was the reason you were taking the vaccine because you knew that you were going to be in those areas and they wanted to protect you, and that's the grand illusion. The vaccine will protect you. No, 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 no. No? That's not right. That's That's not not right? Robert, they wanted to give... That's not right. They wanted to give you the vaccine so that you could be exposed to these adjuvants and these poisonous toxic chemicals to strengthen your immune system. That's what they were doing. That's right. Throw a little dirt in it. No, no, no. Inject a little dirt in it. No, it's worse than that. But you're right. This is a fascinating story as how the mainstream media is trying to cover for vaccine failure. They're saying, well, really, it has nothing to do with the vaccine. Just we, you know, you're just living too close together. I mean, they will do all (laughs) kinds of strange yoga exercises that they can't even do to just avoid acknowledging that the vaccine doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, look at look at the populations in other countries that are really, really packed together, like Hong Kong and, you know, other parts of China and India and wherever, Sao Paulo and any other, New York City, for God's sake. So why aren't they having outbreaks over there? Well, they, they will be having outbreaks there, but the point is, again, it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with populations being, being, living too closely. It has to do with the fact that the damn vaccines don't work. Can mm. I say damn? I don't know yeah, you can say, say damn. Okay, good. I'm thinking you, you, you're good. You didn't get bleeped on that one. But, yeah, the vaccines don't work. Now, is it true that there is problems with overcrowding? Well, if you don't have adequate hygiene, sanitation, nutrition, yes. And pollution, of course, plays a role. But for them to point this out, to say that that's the reason, when their whole vaccine program is designed so that college kids can go to campus and be okay, because that's why they promote the meningitis vaccine as well. You're going to be living in this environment in filth. You're going to eat garbage food. The vaccine will save you. Never mind. Eat cleaner food. Get sleep. Exercise. It's like, no, no, no. This is the magic thing we inject you with, and you shall not be sick. Now that it doesn't work, we cannot acknowledge it. Yeah. And this is this is part of the failure of the media to let people know the truth. Of course, there's an agenda behind their um, you know, there's an agenda behind their motivation to make sure that less people know about this. And who's funding them? That's one reason that what you do, Robert, and what uh, the access you've given me to be able to allow to do it with you is really appreciated because it just brings light, this type of absurdity that is going on constantly around us, and people are just not even aware how absurd it is until somebody like you points it out. Yeah, yeah. well, and, and Superdons battled the skeptics as well on it because I just want to acknowledge the fact that I'm a skeptical guy. Dr. Batar, you're skeptical. You don't just accept blindly everything that comes your way. You really got to sense it, test it out, put it to play clinically and otherwise, or, and then you, your observations lead to conclusions. And, and, and like I said, there's an open mind associated with skepticism that doesn't happen when it's illegitimate or faux, or, or, or faux skepticism, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree with you. And I think that that's the thing that it, it's actually, I believe it's a it's indication of a judicious mind, uh, somebody who is not going to just 
be a sheeple, as, as you like to so affectionately refer to the people that just follow what they're told. Sheeple. I like yeah. that. I've always liked that term. Well, and you're, in New Zealand, they have a lot of, I don't know if they're sheeple, but they have a lot of sheep. They do have a lot of sheep. Hopefully they're not going to be close to the fluoride. <laughs> no, again, that, that could be problematic because they could become sheeple if they are. So uh, write to your tourism board down there in New Zealand so that uh, we can all visit. And uh, it's a lovely place otherwise. People are great. Well, Dr. Batar, we wrap up another uh, dose of advanced medicine. Yep, it's great as always. Yeah, always a good time. Super D, you hanging in there? We're going to be back tomorrow with more uh, powerful healing? Let's do it. Okay. Dr. Batar, check it out. MedicalRewind.com if you miss a show, particularly that one that, ca- well, you know, the one that happens with Dr. Batar every week. All right, Dr. Batar, tell them what they need to know. That the power to heal is yours. Yes, it is. <laughs>